Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. So I have a question for everyone. Now, I do not want you to answer this question out loud, but how many of you would say in this room, and again, don't answer out loud, don't raise your hand, that you're a bit of a skeptic? How many skeptics do we have in this room? Well, let me say, if I was out there, even though I would have been told not to, I'd probably raise my hand, or at least, yep, that's me. I am in that boat. I am just a skeptical person by nature. I think um, I tend to doubt pretty much anything uh, until I can kind of see it or hear it or, you know, uh, be proved uh, otherwise. Um, It doesn't matter if this is a big thing. It doesn't matter if it's small, silly things. I just tend to be, uh, you know, a skeptic with that. I've always got questions. And so so I was thinking, you know, what are some things that I'm skeptical about um, and uh, here, here are some things that I, I'm skeptical about. I, I have some pictures up here. Uh, I'm, I'm skept, step, uh, excuse me, skeptical of my wife's book club. <laughs> they say they get together and talk about books, which I'm not really sure why anyone would want to do that. Instead, in my mind, this is what I see them doing when they meet. A bunch of you are in that book club and you're laughing. Yes, uh, I, I guess I'm skeptical of what goes on there. Um, I'm skeptical of um, Gen Z's style sense. So some of us who are older have seen this before. It's called the 1990s. And I guarantee you it's going back out as just as quick as it came. I'm skeptical about this, Okay. Um, and probably where some of my skepticism began is uh, this next thing. It's called late night TV infomercials. You understand what I'm talking about here? They promise the world with these products. And I'm just like, really? Like I could take my boat across the lake just by spraying some stuff on the bottom of it? Really? <laughs> Um, Then there's some things, now some of you can identify with this, that I was skeptical about for much of my life uh, until I actually did the research and was proved otherwise. Um, And uh, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is here, I've had to admit that I was wrong about them, which is hard for someone who's often right. But uh, here, here are some things that I was skeptical about that I actually uh, have changed my mind about. Uh, meatloaf. <laughs> True. I would not touch meatloaf as a kid, um, but now my wife cooks the best meatloaf in the world. I will challenge anybody else to beat it, and I am a believer. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with food here. Nutella. <laughs> How many people Nutella fans? Yeah, again, this was brand new to me up until like five years ago. Literally, I've never had Nutella. And then I'm like, wow, this stuff is amazing. Um, Counting macros. 
So uh, I was skeptical, be like, hey, you know, so this is what I've done this year. You know, you count how many proteins and carbs and fats that you put in your body, and, and that's going to take some additional things off of your body that you don't want to be there. And I was kind of skeptical of that. But I'm a believer. It worked. Um, the Enneagram. Some of you have studied that. Uh, you know, it's one of those personality assessments to kind of figure out who you are. I was kind of skeptical at first, uh, but I've become a believer as I've gone through it, and it's really helped me out. So yeah, all of this stuff. I know it's silly, uh, but again, uh, things that I was skeptical about. But w- when we think about a skeptic, often we think of that term in, in, in a different way. It's typically, I, I'm a skeptic around some kind of ideology or I'm a skeptic around religion. And here's what I'm certain about today, that many of you here or listening to me today are skeptical, skeptical about God, skeptical about the church, skeptical about pastors, about religion, about the Bible, and I totally get that, and I totally understand that. And, uh, and so today, as we talk, I, I want to, you know, keep that in mind, uh, because you're probably uh, like me in that regard. And, and even a message like this, and even Easter Sunday, might be uh, a difficult uh, thing for you. And so, uh, reasons why people are skeptical about God and religion and Christianity in particular, because that's what... Uh, we are here, and there's four reasons I think people are skeptical. Number one, it seems that the Bible's answers are too old-fashioned and too simplistic, maybe. Uh, David Kinnaman, in his book, Unchristian, talks about this one idea, that sometimes people have a problem because it just seems too easy, too simplistic, and it's dismissed because of that. There's, there's another reason, I think, that there are skeptics about Christianity. And it's because we live in a day and an age in which we need to prove everything. Where science is, is king. And so, above all else, we're looking for proof, scientific proof, before we can believe something. And that just permeates our culture. So I get that. That's another reason why there are skeptics. There's a third reason why many are skeptics. And it's probably uh, the most significant reason, maybe uh, the most uh, discouraging reason for me as a pastor. Others, uh, they would call themselves because of the way they've interacted with other Christians. Their interactions with other Christians have been less than ideal. It's been surrounded in judgmental, hypocritical answers, lifestyle. It seems like every other day someone says one thing and does another, and it's this whole other thing exposed, right? So even in our, even in our daily interactions, the way we interact in our words, Christians have been so off-putting. Or they've misrepresented God or misrepresented the Bible in a way that's detrimental to the Christian faith. 
And then there's one more thing I, I think people are skeptical, like you and me might be. Because Christianity often, or even religion, is couched as this is the only truth. In this day and age, it seems arrogant, insensitive maybe, maybe just wrong to dismiss someone else for what they believe. And we talked about this uh, this past summer in a series we did called uh, Supreme. And I would encourage you to go back to that and listen to those. But we talked about this, and I actually, uh, I brought this up. Uh, there's a Boston College professor. His name is Stephen Prothero. He writes this book. He calls it God is Not One. And this is what he writes. He says, it's, in, it's comforting to pretend that the great religions make up one big happy family. But this sentiment, however well-intentioned, is neither accurate nor ethically responsible. God is not one. You see, truth by definition is narrow. Not everyone can be right. And again, we talked about this. There's no such thing as my truth. Uh, to further that, I actually recently read an article by a self-proclaimed religious skeptic. His name is Jared Herman. Uh, and this is what he writes. He says this. He goes, too many of us are satisfied with settling on personal truths and are not as interested in finding out what is objectively true. In other words, we're content with my truth and not the truth. A personal truth or subjective truth is something you believe to be true. It's unique based on your perspective and life experiences. It may be true or false. And he, and he throws in this little thing here, which is interesting. He goes, religion is a perfect example of personal truth. It's fictitious, not a true reflection of how or why things are as they are. And it's obviously not backed by any science. He goes on. A truth that is objective, on the other hand, is confirmed by science and universally accepted. It's an accurate representation of reality. The idea of truth, as objective as it is, is simply that no matter what we believe to be the case, some things will always be true and other things will always be false. Our beliefs, whatever they are, have no bearing on the facts of the world around us. What is true is always true, even if we stop believing it. While our lives are full of subjective truths, if we want to make real progress, then it's the pursuit and inquiry of what is actually true that matters. And he has this tagged on. Admitting we are wrong is something we all need to be comfortable with if we're truly interested in finding objective truths. I found it a fascinating article and a fascinating statement. Which brings us to today. Easter Sunday, the day in church world that is this proclamation of this linchpin event, the cornerstone, literally, of the Christian faith, and the telling of a story that can seem more like fantasy or fairy tale rather than real life. But I want to read that story first. And so if you follow along with me, these are various accounts that we find in the Bible of both Jesus' death and his resurrection. So let's read this story 
together. You could follow along as I read. And by the way, if you're online, all of our notes are right there uh, in that notes section, and you could follow along there as well. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. Talked about that last week. And there they nailed him to the cross. And two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now this all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. And as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was, in fact, dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. And Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. And then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled the stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. So come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there. This, the glorious cornerstone of the Christian faith, The story of Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected. And really, in order to be a Christian, you really have to believe this story. But admittedly, for some, this account is really, really hard to accept has a lot of skepticism around it. And so for those of you like me, I'd love to offer you today in the time that we have here a few things to think about as we wrestle with God, as we wrestle with the church, as we wrestle with religion, as we wrestle with the Bible, and as you wrestle honestly and find your way on your own spiritual journey. And so I'm calling this message Easter Investigated. I love investigative journalism. I always have. My journey with crime documentaries and investigative reporting started when I was a kid. Uh, So I have some uh, things, again, on uh, the pictures of where it all started. So the first thing I would say was this one, the Hardy Boys. 
Anybody remember the Hardy Boys? Good old Frank and Joe, my heroes. I would think of myself, I would transport myself back, solving crimes and solving mysteries with them and their pals. Uh, then, um, you know, again, as I got older, maybe a little more sophisticated, I remember my parents always watching this show here. 2020. 2020. That's how she said it. 2020. Um, Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters, and these were the real hosts of this, so I'm not sure who does it anymore, but I remember walking in, my parents would be watching this, and I'd be, I'd be fascinated at the telling of the story of this crime that was going on. Uh, lately, you know, I'm, I'm also, I, my kids will joke with me, I'm such a documentary fanatic, so this is one that I enjoy here uh, called Dirty Money. Maybe some of you have seen this show. Really exposes all these deep, dark corners of our world and what we could change. Maybe it's, that, again, this high sense of justice that I have inside of me. I don't know. And then, of course, I would be remiss to not mention the most important investigative journaling of our time, <laughs> the Tiger King. You just get sucked right in. Those of you who watched know. The investigative journalist, the investigative journalist, a good investigative journalist, does four things. Here's what they do. They conduct interviews, and they do extensive research, okay? So as they're going out, they got to get the scoop. They have to do their extensive research. They're conducting interviews with a whole bunch of different people, and, and honestly, that's how a lot of these documentaries are shot in that style. The investigative journalist, though, then has to take all of that research, they take all of that information, and they synthesize it into a story, a story that they can tell, that they could, they could present. Number three, a good investigative journalist exposes wrongdoing and corruption. That's what they're there to do. They're there to highlight, to shine a light on, the truth, and that's the fourth thing. They uncover the truth, and they are not selective in that truth. They are not selective in what they tell. So these four things is what a good investigative journalist does. And I have found that in, there's a writing in the Bible, I have found an investigative journalist. And I want to share his account with you today. His name is Luke, Dr. Luke, and I want to read what he says in the introduction to his book, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. This is the only verse we're looking at today. This is what he says. Many people, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the earliest disciples and 
having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. As someone who's a sucker for investigative journalism, this verse drew me right in. Many people have set out to write about the events, these crazy things that happened, this specific point in time, something happened. And we took eyewitness reports, and then I went back and I carefully investigated everything from the beginning to write an accurate account for you of what happened so that you can be certain. Luke then goes on to write what we know now as the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke, which ends up being one of the most descriptive, fascinating books in the Bible. This is the same account. So now in Luke chapter 2, this is where we all read the stories of Christmas time, all the ones that all you're familiar with. And then in Luke chapter 3, he goes on and he starts, and it's kind of a weird maybe placement in the Bible, but if you look at him like an investigative reporter, you understand why he does this. In chapter 3, he then goes on to go through these deep genealogies, tracing people's lineages all the way back to Adam. He's careful throughout the book to name people, historical figures, so that they can be properly put in their place in time and matched up against other historical documents and confirmed by other sources. And then when we get to that resurrection account, specific people, specific places, times are named And here's what you have to remember. I want you to think about this. There was no Bible at the time. Do you realize that? There was no Bible when Luke wrote these words. Luke was not, in, in other words, Luke was not writing a book of the Bible. He was writing an account from eyewitnesses of this incredible event that took place that was so incredible and so unbelievable that they had to write it down. And by the way, he wasn't the only one. What did he say? Many people did this. I'm not the only one here. Look at there's a bunch of people who have written these accounts because something extraordinary happened on this day. They weren't assembling a religious book. Now, there were no video cameras on the corners of the buildings. There were no iPhones to look back on, you know, to trace time and dates of call or maybe even what that phone captured, phone records to verify. But there were very real people, eyewitnesses, to the most extraordinary linchpin event to ever take place in our world. And this event centered on one person. 
the life, the death, and this crazy resurrection of this person named Jesus who called himself the Messiah. And those records over time carefully preserved and passed down and assembled a few hundred years later into a book that we know now as the Bible. And so for me, as a skeptic at heart, it's compelling for me to understand that this was not a made-up storybook for someone writing a religious document. He was simply documenting everything he had investigated. And this is a person who was interacting with people who lived in that first century, who were alive when the event of the resurrection happened. They were there. It's also compelling to me that Luke was not Jewish. Luke was a Gentile scholar. I said he was a doctor. That's how he describes himself. He was not trying to prop up some faith tradition or faith system. That wasn't even his faith tradition. And let me tell you, this event changed the world as we know it. And these early followers of the way, because that's what they ended up calling themselves, these people who followed Jesus, they began to be known as the way. They followed this thing called the way. And they began to live in a way that was so countercultural for the time, and it began to change their community. And then they began to spread throughout the world, and they began to change the communities that they went to all around the world. They practiced the ways of Jesus. They cared as never before for people who had no privilege, no standing, and no voice. They started a movement, and that movement began to spread around the world as we know it. And then for me, what's also very compelling then in doing my own research and thinking through this for myself are the stories that come to light about the followers of the way, particularly the most early followers who were tortured and killed because they believed in this thing, because they had seen it with their own eyes. They had met people that experienced it and it changed their life. In other words, they were convinced, maybe you could say finally, about the man they knew as Jesus. And we could read their stories, again, historical documents about these martyrs for the faith. You have someone like Andrew, who was crucified under Nero, and so was Peter. And Peter said, don't crucify me like Jesus, crucify me upside down because I'm not even worthy. This is about 30 years after Jesus resurrection. We find stories of Paul, the apostle Paul, who was also, again, beheaded under Nero. We have stories of James, who was clubbed and stoned to death for his faith. Thomas, who died for his faith by spears, it's, it's thought. And Philip, and Matthew, and Bartholomew, and many others, all recorded as martyrs of the faith. And recorded throughout history like, from writers like Tertullian and Basil and Gregory and Asterius and more. And this has been passed down and passed down. And so I say to all of you, 
I don't know where you are in your journey. But I very much know this, that some of you have been considering, you have been investigating the story of Jesus and whether you can accept that or not. And you're wrestling through that on your journey. And that's awesome. I know for a fact that others of you who have called yourself a Christian are wrestling with that in these days. Maybe you have been moving towards deconstructing your faith and you're looking for maybe an off-ramp. I realize I have people from all walks, all backgrounds, all beliefs here today. And I understand the struggles and I appreciate the wrestling. And you are the only one who can decide in your own mind. But I am asking you today to consider the investigation of Dr. Luke. Because what you decide does have consequences for your life. There's this, there's this great quote by C.S. Lewis, and I think we've had it looping on our slides for this whole month. He says this, Christianity, if false, if it's not true, it's of no importance. But if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that it can't be is moderately important. And I want you to think about that. The Apostle Paul in the Bible says something very similar. Listen to this. It's not up there. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 14. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless in your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. And in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Listen, on this Easter Sunday, this beautiful time in the Christian faith, and as Christians around the world celebrate the, def- the event that defines what Jesus did, and, and, I, and I shouldn't say it like that, to celebrate a person, <laughs> I'm asking you to consider this investigative book and ask the questions that will help guide you to the way and the truth, not your truth, the truth and the life. And this is why resurrection matters. And this is why we celebrate it on a Sunday like this. Because it does matter and it does have implications for your life. And I hope that you'll continue your journey. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you 
for every person in this room and who are watching right now. God, only you know our hearts. Only you know ultimately the course of our life and our decisions. But God, you desire that all of us come to see your truth. And God, may you walk with us in the journey. May you help us as we, as we seek to discover the way and the truth and what's truly life in our own lives. God, that it is not the emptiness that is so often offered to us, but there can be fullness and there can be joy and there can be hope and there can be peace in a time where it seems like everything is falling apart and we question everything. God, I pray that you would anchor us. Even if people have been walking with you for years and years that are sitting in this room today, God, I pray that even now, even today, we would be encouraged in our faith. And so, God, we can do nothing better than to celebrate you and to celebrate the life you give on this day. I want us to stay in this moment. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed and just this personal appeal from me to you to say, if you're not sure about this whole God thing, this whole church thing, even the Bible, I get it. But God is calling for you to search. There's actually this verse in the Bible that says, keep on asking, keep on searching, keep on knocking, and the door of that truth will be open to you. So that's what I want to encourage you today. Keep asking. But if you want to know more, if you want to hear more, if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, we would love to hear from you. But before we go, I would just want to give you the opportunity just in, in this moment for in your heart before God to pray something like this, God, I know I need outside help. I know that following my own way is only gonna lead to destruction and to death, but following your way is gonna lead to the hope of life. God, in this moment, I place my trust in you as my Savior, as my King, as my Lord. In Jesus' name.